Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. It's great to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for the invitation. Um, I was briefed that this is a youth service, so I should give a youth talk. So I've worn my youth minister t-shirt. But as we launch into the Bible, I'd love to pray for us. So why don't we pray together? Father in heaven, as we come to your word, please give us faith like a child. To hear it, to receive it, and to trust it with all our might. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Upon a time, a very long time ago now, about last Friday, Winnie the Pooh lived in a forest all by himself. One day when he was out walking, he came to an open place in the middle of the forest and in the middle of this place was a large oak tree and from the top of the tree there came a loud buzzing noise. Winnie the Pooh sat down at the foot of the tree, put his head between his paws and began to think. First of all, he said to himself, that buzzing noise means something. You don't get a buzzing noise like that, just buzzing and buzzing without its meaning something. If there's a buzzing noise... Somebody's making a buzzing noise. And the only reason for making a buzzing noise that I know of is because you're a bee. Then he thought another long time and said, and the only reason for being a bee that I know of is making honey. And then he got up and said, the only reason for making honey is so as I can eat it. And he began to climb the tree. What a woefully self-centered way of viewing the world. (laughs) To say that honey exists so that I might eat it, to put the existence of an entire ecosystem down to your snack food preference. Either he's right and Winnie the Pooh holds some special overarching place in the universe or he's wrong and he's overstating his importance in the most outrageous way. The technical term for this would be ontological overreaching. In other words, I think Winnie the Pooh is just a little bit full of himself. Now, when he does it, it's a little bit adorable, but we have to say that with his short, stubby, honey-soaked paws, Winnie the Pooh thinks he's more important than he really is. And we might well judge him for that. He's wildly misunderstood his role in the universe. He demonstrates an embarrassing lack of self-awareness. And while judgment might be our first reflex, our second reflex is to realize, I think I know someone like that. Someone who manages to hijack every conversation. They seem to think it rains because they're sad that the sun shines out of their ears and and everything in the universe revolves around them. And if we're honest, it can be hard to love that person. See, we can all agree that ontological overreaching is ugly. We don't love it when someone thinks they're some kind of divine because we know they're only human. On the other hand, from Winnie the Pooh and his lofty ambitions, you have Peter Singer. He's a real-life philosopher from Melbourne. And he's done some wonderful things for animal rights, but in doing so, he has presented quite a low view of humanity. See, his understanding of humanity is that the value of a human is associated with their capacity, 
their agency, their ability, and not something they're given inherent to themselves. I think I'm understanding him correctly when I say that if he was given the choice between saving the life of a severely disabled child or a perfectly healthy golden retriever, more often than not, he would choose the dog. I think it's fair to say that when it comes to his view of humanity, Peter Singh is less like Winnie the Pooh and a little bit more like Eeyore. But whatever you think of the logic behind his ethics, most of us have to admit that that view of humanity makes us a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? Regardless of what we make of the logic, we just get a little bit queasy at that kind of thinking. Overreaching regarding the importance of humanity is ugly, but undervaluing humanity makes us uncomfortable as well. So somewhere between Peter Singer and Pooh Bear, there has to be another way, which is where Psalm 8 comes in. And it presents us with a view of humanity that's not just balanced, it's astoundingly hopeful. So if you like taking notes, we're going to tackle this psalm in three headings, and the first one is this, divine glory. The fact that Psalm 8 starts and ends with the same line of praise to God is a clue that divine glory is the point of this whole psalm. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? How majestic is your name, he says. God, you're great, incredible, wonderful. Throughout all the earth, everywhere, your name is impressive and it's grand and it's worthy of praise. Why? Babies. Look at verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and avenger. Seems like a strange turn, doesn't it? We've gone from the great majestic God of the universe to babies. What do they have to do with anything? Well, it's about what he does with them, through them. He establishes his strength. He silences the foe and the avenger. God wins a great victory over his enemies, David says through lifting up the insignificant ones, the lowly ones. In Psalm 8, the reason God should be praised is because of what he does with humans, the littlest of humans. So we could put it this way. God is worthy of glory because he uses little people to do great things. David should know. Shouldn't he? he was just a little boy when he defeated the giant. We're not supposed to look at the story of David or really many of God's victories through people and say, wow, what amazing people. We're supposed to look at it and say, what an amazing God. That he might overcome mighty warriors and giants and nations and armies using people that nobody else would ever pick for themselves. We're supposed to see that and say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Because you can do that with them. The theme throughout this psalm is divine glory. But, but interestingly, as it highlights God's glory, it tells us an awful lot about ourselves. Which brings us to our second heading. Human dignity. Look at verse 3 with me. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, 
which you have set in place. Let's do that for a moment. Let's consider the moon and the stars. I don't know how many stars you can see when you look up at the night sky on a clear Melbourne evening. If you go to Geelong, the number is higher, okay? Whatever that number is, thousands, millions, I don't know, the experts say we can see less than 1% of our universe. Less than 1%. There are stars, trillions of stars, that we will never get to see, let alone understand. And David says here, those are the work of God's fingers. To make them, God did not need to put his back into it. He didn't need to lift with his legs. He didn't even need both hands. With but his fingers, he placed these dainty, delicate little galaxies in the sky. And as you consider these heavens, the work of God's fingers, it makes you feel small, doesn't it? Can we really look out on the universe and feel anything else? Can we look at the indescribable power of a galaxy exploding? The unfathomable size of a galaxy forming, the unbelievable number of stars and solar systems out there we'll never get to meet. Can we consider that and feel like we could possibly be important? Bible's answer is, Yes. Yes, that's, that's not overreaching. Look at verse 4. When we consider these things, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Having considered the heavens, David asks the question, God, how could it possibly be that you take an interest in this? You can hear the surprise in his voice, can't you? that you would think about us, that you would feel feelings about us, that you would care about us. But it gets better. He doesn't just notice us. He gives us a place, a role, a job to do. He gives us an incredibly high and important place in creation. He made us rulers of We're in charge as God's representatives on earth. Look at verse 5. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. We're rulers. It's in our DNA, ruling over creation, representing God to the world. That's our role. And I want to suggest that gives us an incredible dignity, doesn't it? God made you, you, in his image. As his representative, you didn't earn that role. He just decided that's going to be your part. So it doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're weak or strong. It doesn't matter if you're able-bodied or disabled. God doesn't choose the dead. He chooses you. He makes you a ruler and that gives you incredible dignity. Here's the issue, though. I don't often feel like a ruler. This week, I was poking around my Google Drive, and I found this. City on a Hill, Melbourne, key dates, 
2020. Last edited, February 1st, 2020. Some poor souls sat down at the start of February and identified the 20 key dates they could see coming up in the year ahead. Gospel community barbecues would have been great. Easter baptisms, what a great idea that would have been. Women's conference, church-wide conference, they were nice ideas at the time, but this document is just a parable of human insignificance in hindsight, isn't it? It's a painful reminder that our ability to rule seems almost irrelevant in the face of our helplessness. It can be hard to feel like we have been given such a lofty position when just a few viral proteins can bring us all so low for so long. And so we could ask, what's the deal? What's gone wrong that Psalm 8 feels so far from reality? I'd suggest the problem is ontological overreaching. That instead of taking the incredible role God gave to us, we decided to apply for another job. We didn't want the gig of being rulers. We wanted to be gods. We wanted to be the ones who get all the praise to make ourselves the subject of verse 1 and verse 9. Keller calls that cosmic plagiarism. The Apostle Paul calls it, well, sin. Either way, we tried to replace God. And when we did, things were thrown into chaos. You know it from Genesis 3. Our rule of creation was fractured and now it doesn't work like it's supposed to. That's a That explains why it's so frustrating. That explains why the birds of the air in verse 7 won't stop pooing on my car. Why the fish of the sea in verse 7 take the bait but not the hook. Because the work of ruling is not straightforward anymore. And I suspect it's not just the natural world. This is why the library printer hates you. This is why it can be so difficult sometimes for a distinguished professor to use a smart book. And not for nothing, but this is why you so often feel helpless and out of your depth every day in ministry too. Because when humans tried to be gods, the whole creation was thrown into chaos and subjected to frustration. Where does that leave us? And the hope of Psalm 8. How can we possibly hold on to the dignity of Psalm 8 when our inadequacy is just so obvious? Well, that's where Jesus comes in. Because while we might read Psalm 8 and feel like we're not there anymore, Jesus shows us that actually we're just not there yet. Which brings us to our third heading, human glory. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2 picks up Psalm 8 and then runs with it. From verse 6, there is a place where someone has testified, Psalm 8, by the way, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. But then the author goes on in Hebrews and starts to interpret for us. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them, yet 
at present, we do not see everything subject to it. That explains our feeling, right? We're not there yet. We don't see it. But verse 9, we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everything. We don't see everything under our feet. We do know a guy who managed to still the wind and the waves, managed to walk on water or, or turn it into wine, who could talk to a sick body and just make it better, who could face the very worst of creation the thorns and the nails. And a final breath. And then triumph over it. Rising again as the rightful ruler over all creation. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 8. He lived as a human. He faced the brokenness of creation as a human and he triumphed over it as a human. He rules as a human. And when he did this, because he's done this, God gave us the gift of dignity all over again. See, Jesus is more than just the fulfillment of Psalm 8. He's the first fruits of it. It's a bit like a bag of oranges. I bought this this morning, and I know what you're thinking. Dave, it's late March. Oranges aren't ripe for at least another eight weeks. What are you doing? There's nothing worse than a flaky, dry, sour ball of disappointment. I don't know what to tell you. The thug life chose me. I like to live on the edge. And so I bought myself a bag of oranges this morning. But here's how this is going to work. I'm going to open this at some point today. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not. But as soon as I do, I know exactly what the rest of the bag is going to be like as well. If this sucks, those are going in the bin or the compost. But if it's good, they might be something to look forward to. Here's the point. We can hold on to the hope of Psalm 8 because Jesus is the first orange of the bag. What happens to him will happen to the rest of us who are in him too. Just as he rises from the dead, so we will rise too. But it is more than that. Just as he rules and reigns in the new creation, we will rule and reign with him. Do you know that? Psalm 8 describes us as a little lower than the angels, but 1 Corinthians 6 suggests that one day we will judge the angels. Revelation 3 tells us we won't just stand around the throne praying to God and singing his praises. No, no, we'll sit on it with him. If you feel like that's overreaching, then you're starting to get how David felt when he wrote this psalm. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? 
C.S. Lewis once said, there are no ordinary people. You've never met a mere mortal, and he's right. Because God has given all of us a surprising level of dignity. And if you're in Christ, there's even more to come. As we rule and reign with him into the new creation, as he brings many sons and daughters to glory. So what do we do with that? What do we do with Psalm 8 as men and women training for, working in ministry? Well, I think there's two errors we want to avoid that Psalm 8 would help us guard against. The first one is you cannot possibly read Psalm 8 and undervalue another human being. Because God has given every one of us dignity, regardless of our capacity. Regardless of our able-bodiedness or disability, regardless of our strength or weakness, regardless of our age. God gives us all dignity and we're in Christ to give us glory too. So you can't read Psalm 8 and possibly undervalue another human, but you can't possibly read Psalm 8 and overreach either. You can't possibly consider the way that God has elevated us and think that we are the ones worthy of praise. He is. Now it's Mission Week here at Ridley as we think about youth and children's ministry. So as you consider what the future might look like for you, many of us won't be youth and children's ministers. And that's okay. If that's you, please don't let one of those two errors factor into your decision-making, will you? If you think that being a youth minister is going to bring you less praise, less status, less honour, you're right. And it couldn't possibly matter less. When you think that ministry to little people is somehow less dignified, that they're somehow less human or valuable or usable by the great God of the universe, then Psalm 8 would tell you you're wrong. Because God can, and he does, and he will use little people to do great things so that we might say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, we thank you that you use little people to do great things. We praise you for doing that, and we ask, would you use us too? Use us to bring glory to yourself. Use us to serve everyone in your church and your world, young and old, so that the world might say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Amen.